Welcome to Knocked Up, the podcast with Dr. Raylia Liu from Women's Health Melbourne. Welcome, Raylia. Welcome. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Lovely spending this evening with you. Let's say you've been trying IVF for a few cycles. You've gotten some eggs, but nothing's been successful when you've had been implanted. Egg quality is probably an issue. Can you improve egg quality? It's a contentious issue. And I'll tell you why, because eggs are one of these tissues that we have had pretty much since the beginning of when we became a being, when we became a fetus. We make all the eggs we're ever going to make in our lifetime when we're between six weeks gestation and 12 weeks gestation. So probably before a woman's mother told anyone she was pregnant, that baby had made all the eggs she was ever going to have for a lifetime. But the egg is an absolutely amazing cell and it's a cell that is unlike any other cell in the body. We ask a lot of it and it's a cell on a marathon because it is formed at that very early stage of our development and it really has to have a really long trajectory in our lifestyle and in our lifetime before it's actually called into action to do its thing. So in terms of improving egg quality, well, egg quality is at its best when women are in their teens and early 20s, which is really when biology intended us to have babies. It's not necessarily these days when we intend to have babies. So that's like our period starting around 12, 13. That's when we're meant to start. Well, from a biological point of view, you've got to remember, in a natural world, we probably wouldn't have had our period quite yet because nutrition wouldn't have been quite as good and uh, we probably would have got it around 14, 15. But yes, it, that's really when nature would have made us fertile and that's when, when nature designed us to have babies. And so that's when our eggs are at their best. So when you think about it, when we're trying to have babies in our mid-30s and early 40s, we're literally 20 years past our peak and we're actually closer to the age where eggs are no longer capable of making a baby full stop than when they were at their best. So what can we do to improve quality? Well, look, eggs when we make them are arrested in what we call metaphase one of meiosis. Meiosis, for those who have studied biology, is an absolutely unique process, which is unique to eggs and sperm, where we don't divide cells to be carbon copies of the, the previous cell, but instead we mix up our DNA so that we can have a situation where we're giving only half of our DNA to a baby. And yet during that cell division process, we generate more genetic diversity. In an egg context, we basically have this egg progenitor cell making one egg. Now the same kind of similar cell for sperm actually ends up making four sperms from the same one cell. And so why is that? Well look for an egg, the egg's got a really specialist function. It's got to really carry the load. It's got to do basically everything in terms of embryogenesis. The sperm's job, which means making of an embryo, the sperm's job is to deliver the male DNA. Full stop. That's it. It's got to find the egg, it's got to bind to the egg, it's got to fertilise the egg, it's got to deliver the package. And then it's done its job, it's had enough, that's it. Yeah. Now obviously 
the DNA from the male is just impo as important as the DNA from the female and, and together they make the DNA of the baby. But every cellular process, every piece of cellular machinery uh, that makes a baby comes from the egg. If the sperm has issues with its DNA, the egg has repair mechanisms to fix up the male DNA. So pretty much the egg has really to carry the majority of the load of making a baby. And so it's not surprising that when eggs have been on a marathon journey for 30, 40 years and they've been kind of eating away at that picnic basket that they packed back when you were six weeks gestation when they were made, that they become fatigued, that their energy structures were out, their cellular mechanisms are compromised and they're just more likely to make a serious mistake at a critical time point. And that's what we see in the lab. So we see when we look at women over 35, particularly at the embryos that are generated, we see more embryos making mistakes and more eggs that don't make it to be an embryo at the stage where we would consider transferring that embryo back to a woman. So more um, eggs fail to fertilise, more fertilised eggs fail to develop to the blastocyst stage and more blastocysts, if we test them, are genetically abnormal. So with IVF and with fertility treatments, what we're trying to do, and I suppose the holy grail of IVF for the older woman trying to get pregnant with her own eggs, is can we do anything about this problem other than just statistics, other than just looking for the golden egg, the kind of, you know, the ticket in the lottery that's going to that's gonna be the winner? So what, what I would say is, yes, we can. I, I, I personally believe that there, there's a lot that we can do but that, you know, obviously, you know, what we can do has a limited impact. So in terms of when those eggs are coming into cycle, when they're reactivating, where they're completing those cell division processes that are oh so important, what can we do to give those eggs everything they could possibly want to really encourage them to do the right thing? So there's nothing we can do to absolutely make them do the right thing, to force them to do the right thing. But personally, I believe that optimising lifestyle, optimising the environment in which the egg is trying to function, which is your body's environment, and giving the egg all of the possible nutrients that it might need uh, to, to not make a mistake and really creating an environment with the minimum amount of oxidative stress for the egg is the best way to try and help patients to have success with IVF at a later age. So let's go into a little bit of detail. Um, we've talked a lot about lifestyle before, so I think for there we'll refer people to previous episodes that we've done on lifestyle. I think environment's probably a good one to speak about. What, what are some things we can do in our environment to help our eggs be healthier? So look, I think that in our environment we can try and reduce our exposure to toxic elements. We can try and eliminate the influence of chemicals in our environment that might do damage. So when you say to when you say toxins specifically, what are you talking about? Just if you think about how unnatural our lifestyle is, how many products we use in our home that we don't think twice about that could perhaps be detrimental to our health. Um, you know, these things, um, even things like heating food in a plastic container in the microwave, 
These plastics can react with our hormone receptors. They're called endocrine-disrupting chemicals. So, so really being conscious of having a more natural approach to cleaning products, to washing products, to what we eat, having a whole foods diet so we're not ingesting a whole lot of preservatives and chemicals because we really don't know what these things do to our bodies. And I personally have some concern that they don't do good things to our bodies. And that's backed up by research. Um, not every chemical has had in-depth research in the field of fertility, but there have been quite a lot of um, people interested in endocrine-disrupting chemicals. Making sure that we have a good diet and thinking about our microbiome, so the kind of bacteria that live with us symbiotically um, in our body. So making sure that we have good gut health, that we have good skin health, um, because we know more and more that that does influence our reproductive tract bacteria and the environment of our reproductive tract will influence our eggs and how they develop. I think having sleep is... I think we're in the middle of a poor sleep epidemic and I'm sure it affects many areas of medicine and also fertility. So making sure, A, that we sleep enough and B, that our sleep is of good quality. So turning off our phones and really not having distraction in the bedroom. Yeah, having good... We call it sleep hygiene. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so... And just making sure that we have a regular pattern and, you know, we know that children need that, adults need it too. And um, making sure that our bodies are well rested and that we're allowed to have those regenerative processes so there's not a baseline of underlying physical stress. I think, I think we forget that babies need to be taught how to sleep. Knowing how to sleep is not something we're born with and that maybe... Like, maybe we need a reminder sometimes of what puts us to sleep. Yeah, and a circuit breaker if we're in bad habits, just to have a conscious intervention there. I think it's really important. I think it helps us cope with lots of things. It helps reduce the number of infections we have from things like colds and flus and viruses. If our immune system is is um, resilient and if our bodies are not under the pump all the time and that we concentrate on restorative um, processes... Look, I think that um, diet is really important and just having enough nutrients and focusing on a healthy diet where we have lots of antioxidants. Green vegetables. Green vegetables, colourful foods. Um, and also just, um, you know, one thing that I say to patients, which is a bit of a catchphrase of mine, is eat from the table of your ancestors. I think we have a lot of artificial foods in our diet and we really don't need them. I think if we go back to basics and think about what does my body need, not what's easy for me or what does my body want, but what does my body really need, um, I think that's, that's a really good way to think about it. And sometimes things become more obvious when you think about it that way and, and looking to nourish and replenish rather than just feed and, you know, kind of fulfil energy requirements. Along with all this, with the healthy eating and the more exercise and the way that we're a bit obsessed with well-being as a as a culture at the moment, one thing I'm seeing cropping up everywhere is the increased number of supplements. So it's not just your regular vitamin C, vitamin E. There's just supplements everywhere for health, for beauty, everything. Are supplements something that we should be incorporating in our in our daily lives if we're trying to improve our egg health 
Look, I think it's a it's an interesting area. I think it's very hard to generalize because you know there are many supplements like multivitamins that a healthy diet, especially a, a really um, you know healthy diet enriched with with natural antioxidants, um, doesn't require a lot of supplements. But particularly in medicine and particularly in fertility we've studied certain supplements that can be actually extremely helpful. So uh, there have been particular um, studies done on antioxidants and the concentrated antioxidants like vitamin C, coenzyme Q10 or ubiquinol, which is cousin of coenzyme Q10, um, the B group vitamins, particularly nicotinamide, these have been studied. Um, a lot of the studies have been in animal models, but they've really, because they're easier to study than humans, but really we have seen impacts on egg quality and sperm quality from antioxidant use. Really exciting uh, news at Melbourne IVF where I practice my IVF side of my practice um, is that we've got a trial at the moment looking at adding some specific antioxidants to our culture media systems and that's had some really promising early results. And uh, personally, I'm excited about that becoming mainstream therapy, I hope, in the very near future um, with the outcome of the randomised control trial that's underway at the moment, um, if that has similar outcomes to our pilot studies. So I really do think that those things are important. I often use melatonin in my patients. Melatonin is a hormone that is a really potent regulator of body rhythms and a really strong biological antioxidant. We know it's a natural element of follicular fluid around the egg uh, and I find it helps my patients sleep well and it helps my patients with egg quality. There have even been some studies looking at melatonin in perimenopausal women where they haven't had a period for a long time and then suddenly they start ovulating again with melatonin. So... I think there's a plausible biological mechanism for the use of melatonin in IVF. I also think that we can be clever and use particular hormones, especially androgens, either testosterone or DHEA, to try and modulate the natural processes of egg selection and, and um, egg development during an IVF cycle. You have to use them for a long time. I always say it's a long play. They don't work immediately in a cycle. You've got to use them for two, three months before you start treatment to see an effect. They don't make more eggs. We can't do that. But those supplements try and modulate how many eggs drop out naturally in a cycle because there's always a certain background rate of what we call atresia or egg dropout of the group of eggs that are getting ready to start to compete in a cycle. And what I find is that pre-treatment with DHEA, um, which I tend to use more than testosterone because it has less side effects and works on the same androgen receptor as testosterone, it tends to result in more eggs collected per treatment and that gives us more eggs to choose from in terms of treatment outcomes. There have been quite a few studies looking at DHEA it's certainly been shown that it is true that it has more eggs collected per cycle um, in women who use DHEA. It's not yet been demonstrated in randomised controlled trials that that translates to an increased number of live births. And that's because of 
those kind of studies are pretty hard to do because it takes nine months between when patients are enrolled in studies and then waiting for a baby to be born and then staying in the study. And those studies need to... They cost a lot of money and they're, they're very hard to actually conduct. But um, the hypothesis is there. The early effects are there. And there's no effect of harm that we're really concerned about. And the kind of levels of DHEA, just to put it in context, that I am for in an IVF treatment cycle where I'm using it as a supplement, the kind of the levels of DHEA that would be naturally present in a woman in her 20s, um, because DHEA is one of these hormones that over a woman's lifetime it slowly decreases and it kind of peaks in our teens and early 20s and then gradually declines as we get older. So restoring the DHEA levels in, a, in an IVF context for an older woman, I'd be aiming for what her DHEA would have naturally been like when she was 20. Uh, so it's not huge blood levels or anything like that. Would improving the sperm help? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. So I always say when I see a patient and she's uh, over 35 and she's thinking about conceiving with a sperm donor and she asks me, can you give me any tips on choosing a donor? I say choose a young donor, young one with a proven past paternity that he's had, had his, from his donation, he's had a baby before and is young because the, the biggest blessing you can give to an older egg is a younger sperm because she has less reforming work to do on the, <laughs> on the sperm, less DNA correction. So men like women do age, and while men make sperm every day of their lives until they die pretty much, um, the sperm quality is not what it once was, and the amount of DNA damage in a sperm sample is significantly higher in older men, and we see that translates actually to increased risks of certain problems in offspring of older men. Uh, so certainly optimising the sperm quality through all of those measures that we talked about, lifestyle, diet, you know, getting rid of toxins, quitting smoking, very big important thing. Men who smoke have poorer quality sperm. Their wives and partners have um, more miscarriages and they have fewer pregnancies and they have an increased risk if they do have a baby of really serious things, including things like cot death. So... Um, SID, sudden infant death syndrome, asthma, allergy. So there's all kinds of um, fantastic reasons, not only just the other general health reasons for quitting smoking. That's both in men and women. And by the way, egg quality is significantly affected by cigarette smoking and the chemicals within a cigarette as well. We don't know that vaping is safe either. Um, so I would just caution anyone trying to get pregnant to quit smoking if they possibly can. And, um, yeah, just optimising the man's health, the temperature that his testes are at, uh, how often he's ejaculating so that he, he's getting a fresh sample, if possible, around the time of conception and around the time of producing a sample for IVF use or IUI use. Those things are really important and they'll help the, the egg not have to fix the problems in the sperm. So it makes the egg's job easier. If you're trying... if you are older and you're trying IVF to get to conceive. Is there a different way you do things with older older eggs? Well, certainly I would try not to be so interventionalist if, if um, things like ICSI, which is when you stick a needle into an egg to fertilise it, is not necessary. I would avoid it because older eggs are more likely to degenerate in that process. 
the quality of the laboratory cannot be overstated. So we know that eggs do better in high-end laboratories where we put a lot of effort and a lot of technology and a lot of investment into optimising every step along the process. Um, and we do see that patients do better at places like Melbourne IVF where I work than in low-cost models, and the reason for that is that the laboratories are chalk and cheese. Uh, in terms of the way that things are advertised, sometimes it can be very misleading uh, in terms of a kind of jet, jet star versus Qantas analogy that I've used before, that you still get where you're going. It's just less of a, you know, kind of boutique experience. That's absolute nonsense. It's just absolutely non-comparable in terms of the processes that we day-to-day -day invest time, effort, staff, energy, um, innovation in every area of embryo culture systems, incubators that don't require multiple open and shut checks on embryos. There's a whole heap of stuff that we do differently in a top-end laboratory that is why when we look at outcomes we do better with women with older eggs and that's because those eggs are the most sensitive and the most likely to be affected by suboptimal lab conditions. If you've tried everything and you, you still aren't getting anywhere, what stage do you go, okay, my eggs aren't working, what can I do? Look, I think that's something that personally I'm very frank to my patients about. There comes a time in every woman's life, for every woman, uh, that our eggs pass their use-by date and that the chance of finding a usable egg becomes minute and then it becomes impossible. And that's the same for every single woman. So no matter how fertile you were to begin with, no matter how easy it was for you to conceive years ago, there comes an age where every woman will not be able to conceive anymore using her own eggs. And so I guess a reality check is sometimes something hard to, to hear from a specialist. But I think that, you know, no matter what you do, no matter how healthy you are, no matter how young you look on the outside, it, it takes the exceptional egg over 43, not the average egg, to make a baby. And it, it becomes really the one in a hundred chance at 45 of having a baby with your own egg. So, for example, if I took 100 women at 45 and put them through IVF using their own eggs, I would expect maybe one to have a baby. And that's a lot of burden of treatment for a very low outcome. If I took that same population, if there was no other reason for them not to get pregnant, they were healthy, they were well, and I gave them a donor egg from a younger woman who was under 35... You know, the majority through IVF treatment would become pregnant. So I think I think it's individual, and I think the age at which that happens to a woman that her eggs no longer become biologically viable can vary. Uh, some women it happens at a younger age, um, closer to forty or even in the late thirties. That's really hard. It's really hard when that happens. But my advice is that. 
if you've been treated in a very high-end laboratory with optimised treatment from a CREI subspecialist and they tell you you need a donor egg, then chances are you do need a donor egg. And um, either coming to terms with that and going down a donor pathway or if it's not for you, just help, ha seeking help to find closure, I think is, um, is something that's important because... We really, I mean, I feel personally that I treat women through IVF to help them have a baby, not to help them have a checkered IVF history. And, um, you know, sometimes the best way to have a baby is to be open to thinking outside the square. It's not always very easy to find a donor egg in Australia. There are really barriers, um, particularly the fact that commercial egg donation is not legal at this point in time. Maybe that will change in the future. Uh, and egg donation is something that is it's quite a big deal for a woman to go through. It's quite an invasive process to have an IVF treatment to give your eggs away. It's not like donor sperm, not quite so simple. Yeah, it's not like an easy physiological process to donate millions of sperm in one ejaculate kind of thing. So there's a very big barrier. I don't think there's a barrier in women wanting to do it. I just think that to ask a woman to do that without reasonable compensation it's just unrealistic it's just unrealistic so I think until our um our laws change and our practices change it's the exception that that a woman finds a, a donor either amongst her friends and family um or some altruistic stranger who decides to donate eggs I think we'll have more donor eggs um, as women who've frozen eggs for themselves and, and kind of um, conceived naturally might decide to donate because they've already been through the hard part. Um, that's possible. But we have to wait and see. That'll probably take another decade for, for a hunch to become a, an observation. Uh, but I think um, if you do need a donor egg, if you're in a situation where that's the case, there are ways and means of helping women find a donor egg and um, I'd chat to your fertility specialist about that. Thank you, Raylia. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Knocked Up, the podcast about getting pregnant. For more information about Raylia, Women's Health Melbourne and how to get pregnant, please visit womenshealthmelbourne.com.au or find us on the socials under Women's Health Melbourne or you can send an email with any future episode requests to podcasts at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. See you next week.